Welcome to Be The Light Podcast with C.B. Barthlow, lead pastor of Denver Beacon. I am your host, Pastor Ty Morris. Our desire is to lead the lost, the broken, and the hopelessness of our communities, to be light bearers in our city set on a hill. Now tune in for our sermon series. Do y'all have your Bibles? Two people have their Bible today. If you have your Bible, say, yeah. Man, y'all better get with it today. I drank a lot of coffee. I don't know about you, but I am ready. If you have your Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 8. We're going to continue our series in the Word and Power study of Luke chapter 8. And I'm going to ask you, just just plain old, plain old ask you to participate with me today. Because when we were in the comedy club and it was really small, I could hear everything. And it was nice. So if Pastor Ty said, let's go at full volume, I could hear it. Loud, But if, if Pastor Ty whispered to Janine what you want to get after lunch today, I could hear that too. And in a big room like this, I can't hear everybody, but I do want you to participate with me. It is a truth that if you and I are in this thing together, that it makes it a lot easier for you. So if you're taking notes today, uh, we're in Luke chapter 8. We're going to read this last section in Luke, but I'm going to break up this passage of Scripture into two parts in our studying. But I'm going to read today from verse 40 all the way through 56. Then we're going to break it up, talk about our conversation with Jairus and his daughter. Then next week we'll come back and discuss the woman with the issue of blood. Luke chapter 8, I'm in verse 40. Luke 8 and 40, and it reads like this. Now, when Jesus had returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased, and Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and they're pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that She was not hidden. She came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house, that's Jairus, came and said to Jairus, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him and said, do not fear, only believe and she will be well. And when he came, that's Jesus to the house. Jesus allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James, the father Jairus and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But Jesus said, do not weep. She's not dead. She's sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called and said, Talitha kumi, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what happened. I read the whole passage in context. Amen? 
That is our custom to teach through entire books of the Bible, entire chapters, and to read things in context so that we know how all parts fit together and so we don't proof text or come in and pick out the parts we like. Amen? We read this whole passage together because it's shared in passage together. Whether this parallel is found in Matthew or Mark or by Luke the physician, each one of them writes this as a narrative whole, meaning that the story of Jairus and his daughter cannot be separated from the story of the woman with the issue of blood. God has ordained these moments to coincide. And so we will read them together, though in order to do a good study, we'll split them off and do them week by week. Amen? Amen. The title of our message today is Faith Comes by Hearing. Faith Comes by Hearing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this word. Now, God, open our hearts, our eyes, our ears to hear from you the words that you want to say and nothing more. Have your way in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. It's important that we, um, we're clear on what we're going to do today because I don't want you to get lost in the long piece of text. And it's also important that we make it very clear on what we're trying to accomplish today. I know that you've heard this story before, amen? The woman with the issue of blood is a common teaching, and so is the paralleled story of Jairus and his daughter. Many people make much of the correlation between the suffering of a woman for 12 years and the age of the daughter for 12 years, and there's importance there. Many people make much of these parallel stories being of healing or resurrection from the dead, and there's something to be said there. But I want to tell you this very clearly, very plainly, that it is vital that we split these two off for a conversation today, because the study of Jairus and his daughter is not a story about healing, amen? It's a story about listening. You see, you might read this and just think, there is Jesus again showing up and healing, amen? When I'm sick, I know who to call. But that's not the teaching here. The point of this story is very clearly to help you and I understand the importance of your ears. This is really a conversation that is all about how God speaks and whether or not you can hear him. If you're taking notes today, right under the title of the message, I would encourage you to include this big idea. Our big idea today is this, how to filter the noise so you can hear his voice. Now, I'm a pastor and a preacher, so everything's either going to rhyme or start with the same letter. <laughs> and there's much of that here today. Amen. But I want you to be mindful that that is where we're pointed today. This is a how-to on how to quiet the world around you so that you can hear the voice of Jesus. Before we do that, let's, let's introduce our characters, and then we're going to dive right into the bulk of the text. This story is broken into two passages, verses 40 through 42. And and in these first three verses, we get to learn about the people who are here, our our players, so to speak, in the conversation. We have three, uh, Jesus, Jairus, and Jairus's daughters. Let's talk about Jesus for a second. Jesus and his disciples have just returned to the Galilean region. They've come back over the Sea of Galilee in a boat. Now, if you weren't here the last couple of weeks, let me catch you up. Jesus has taken his disciples across the Sea of Galilee to a town called Gerasenes. In this place is a demon. And on this journey to meet the demon is a deathly storm. These poor disciples have just about drowned to death and also seen a demon-possessed man attack Jesus only to see demons sent into pigs and jump off a cliff. It's safe to say the 12 disciples are befuddled. Amen? 
it's safe to say these 12 men are like, he's either God or I'm freaking out, man. Like, I don't know what's going on. I can just imagine in my sanctified mind that Jesus is coming across the boat. He's imparted some really important lessons. They've seen him operate in great power, but a few of them are just like, can we make me take a break like a whole week? I'm, uh, I don't know. I don't know. The Bible says that when Jesus and his disciples come off the boat, the crowds have been waiting for him. Legend of the work that Jesus has been doing in the hearts and in the minds and in the bodies of his people and even the people who are not called by God's name across the sea has spread and people are pressing in. Jesus and his disciples get, get, get off the boat and they, they, they step onto dry land and the crowd presses in. And, and one in that crowd is worth noting. The Bible says that Jairus appears. Jairus is the ruler of the synagogue. He's an elder. In, in ancient Near East times, the, the synagogue in each community would be governed by a group of elders. This would be affluent and well-respected men who were in charge of overseeing the operation of the teaching, of the practice, of the ritual within the temple in that community. And the ruler of the synagogue was first amongst equals. He was the elder of elders. He was the most respected that means that in this community where Jesus lands, Jairus was the one that people kind of went to for help when perhaps their daughter was in need. But the Bible says that his identity in, in his work and in this culture is not really what defines him. If you read here in 40 through 42, the Bible says that Jesus is approached by Jairus and Jairus falls at Jesus' feet. And it's this posture, this moment I think is a perfect way for us to look at who we should be. You see, Jairus is important, but when he sees Jesus, all of that goes out the window. He's no longer an elder. He's no longer just a, a leader. He's not important. The Bible says he humbles himself and falls to his feet at the feet of Jesus. It's right here in this moment that, that he's, he's, he's a desperate dad. And he doesn't really care what anybody thinks. He's worried about his daughter. And he's like, you know what? If these people think I'm crazy, so what? I, I, I got to find a way to get her help. And then he talks about his daughter. Jairus' daughter is 12 years old. At that tender age of burgeoning womanhood where she's just beginning to see the world. And in the ancient Near East, that process is a little bit more sped up. She is just about on the age where she and her family will begin to think about whom she will be betrothed to. She's Jairus' only daughter. And for every father in here who has a daughter, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There is something breathtakingly precious in the relationship between father and daughter. And she is dying. And in this instance, as we set the stage, we have the disciples and we have the dad and we have the dying girl. We have the problem and the posture of a man who needs help. And we have the right people. And much of our conversation today will be about having the right people in your ear. Amen? 
So jump over with me from verse 42. I want you to jump over to the last part of this whole chapter. We're going to pick up back in 49 through 56 to really spend most of our time here today and talking through these three main characters and how they interact together today. First point I want to make for you today, if you're taking notes, first point is this. It is awfully loud these days. It's awfully loud in your ears these days. Did you know that right now there is more information consumed by the average human than was consumed by the ancient Near East human in their entire lifetime. You and I hear enough words and see enough images in one day that would encompass all of the books, sounds, or conversations that someone in Jesus' time would experience in their whole life. And did you know you're challenged with filtering that out? (laughs) How are you doing with that? How many of you are just like, oh my gosh, who am I supposed to believe? How many of you have tried to figure out which social media channel is the best for you? Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of us are on this one or that one. I just boycotted it. I took the whole, I'm done. I can't even, I'm 43. I have gray hair. I don't think so. I'm good. Because pretty soon if I stay on there, I'm going to be searching for stuff on Walmart in the status box of one of these things. Like I'm just going to lose my way. The truth of the matter is, is that today we live in an age where there is so much information that it's normal for you and I to be distracted from even the most important things. Truth be told, I can't hear two things at once. Can I just be honest for a second with you real quick? I am unable to hear two sounds at the same time. Here's what that means. If the television is on or my sons are talking to me, one of them will lose out. (laughs) Amen? Or better yet, if I'm on the phone with a customer service rep and my wife is coaching me through that conversation... I can't do both at the same time. I turn into a deer in headlights. They're like, and so what's your zip code? And she's like, make sure you order the double bedspread. And I'm like, I can't tell you how many times I've just hung up mid-call because I don't know where we are. I'm like, forget it. You do it. I can't hear two things at once. And it's because for some reason in this season of my life, more than one sound just completely distracts me and I can't pick out one from the other. And this is not uncommon to me. You, you suffer from the same thing. Most of us are finding that our ability to quote unquote multitask is far less tuned than we thought it was. Amen. You think you're good at focusing at your work while also listening to the radio. But if you got it on the Christmas station, I know you're singing when Mariah Carey comes on. I know this. It is common for most of us to find that multiple sounds are distracting. And it's true of Jairus in this moment here today. I need you to see very quickly what's really happening in this moment between Jesus, Jairus, and his daughter. The Bible says, Jairus comes to Jesus falls to his knees and says, my, my daughter is dying and I think you're the only one that can help. In that beautiful moment of surrender and submission, when it's just him and Jesus, wouldn't you know it, someone walks right up onto the scene. The Bible tells us right here, while he was speaking, someone from Jairus' house came and said, Your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Faithful Jairus is 
is that the moment of breakthrough, he finally pushed through the crowd. Jesus had finally returned from across the ocean. He'd been laboring and weeping and, and wondering if he was going to get a chance to talk to Jesus before his daughter succumbed. And finally, here he is, and he breaks through every barrier, both cultural and natural, and he falls at his feet, and he says, I don't know what else to do. I need your help. I'm desperate. And someone right then in that moment, a faithless person comes in and speaks and said, it's too late. Forget about it. It's not unlike you and I who are dreaming for something miraculous and pressing in and seeking the face of the Lord only to find that you haven't yet got an answer, only to find that you haven't yet heard from him, you haven't had your breakthrough. And someone who thinks they mean well, a faithless person comes in and says, why don't you just give up on that? Why does that even matter? Why is it always that the closest we get to our breakthrough, the loudest voices become against us? I don't know about you, but it always seems like in my faith, the closer we get as a church to a breakthrough, the closer I get as a father, as a husband to really seeing God make a move, it's like all of a sudden, that's when all chaos breaks loose. I don't know if I'm talking to anybody else in the room, but there are just, there are just these indicators. I used to think that it, was, that it was me, like everybody else prays and things work and nothing works for me. In fact, every time I get serious about God, something bad happens. I'm this close to giving up. Amen. You ever been there before? But the older I've gotten, the more I've pressed in, the more I've seen God move, I've understood that the enemy always seems to use that as his technique. In fact, now in my life, I recognize that when the voice of the enemy, the chirping and the doubting and the distraction, the louder that gets or the more discouraged I get or the more that the facts come in and they're just an obstacle to my faith, the more the enemy says, give up, it's too late. That's when I know I'm right at the breakthrough. That's when I know. In fact, let me tell you, that's how I know. People say, how do you know your church is going to make it? I just know it because it's super hard. <laughs> what? Yeah, I don't, it doesn't make any sense now that I say it. They said, why would you put a church on Colfax? Because no one else has. Why would you put it next to a, that business? Because no one else has. Why would you put it next to a Wiccan store? Because no one else has. And when they follow me on prayer walks and they write negative reviews about our church and they come against us, here's how I know it works. Because I'm making the enemy mad. The enemy only fights that which is a threat to him. So here it is. Ready? Here's a hard push. If life is easy, you might be on the wrong team, baby. I wish I could tell you, you hear me say it all the time. I wish I could tell you that being a Christian makes life easier, but it doesn't. It should make it a little bit rougher because we live in a fallen world. And once you're marked with the blood of Jesus, ooh, the enemy should get a little bit angry with you. And the more that you pray, oh, he should get a little bit louder. And so when Jairus presses in and he finally, finally, finally gets to Jesus and he's like, this is my chance. I know it. She's not far. And I know you're busy. I know there's a lot of people that need to talk to you, but she's my daughter. She's mine. And she's, and she's dying and I need you to come. And it's right there that one of his friends says, give up. The report is true. She is dead. The facts of the matter are in violation of the faith in his heart. But this person who shows up doesn't just speak facts. They don't just deliver a report. They also make a recommendation. You see, she's not just dead, but this person has said, so stop. Don't you keep pressing into Jesus. It didn't work. And here's what they're saying. 
it'll never work. Don't you even try. This Jesus thing, it's over. Here's what I want you to understand today. Faithless people will report the facts to you. Amen? You'd be like, we just believe and we're going to get our credit right. And if God helps us, we're going to buy a house. And they're like, not in this market. <laughs> Which is a fact. You do not want to buy in this market. It's hard. And then they'll say something like, not in this market. Pfft. Not, not ever with the way you spend. See, one of those is a report of fact. But one of those is a recommendation meant to build fear into you. And that is the tactic of the enemy. The tactic is this, look at what you see in front of you, it's bad, it will never change. And what I love about this is that Jesus interrupts the conversation. It's so good. I mean, Jairus is there, he's on his knees looking up at Jesus. There's a million people around Jesus calling his name. And the person runs up to Jairus and they said, stop, give up, don't even bother him, it's not working. And Jesus could hear that and move on. Well, she's dead. But Jesus interrupts the conversation. And I guess I wanna ask you a big old fashioned question today, which is this, um, is Jesus allowed to interrupt your conversations? Let me just say that real quick. Are you making time for Jesus to talk? Huh? Or are you really dominating the conversation? How many of you do what I do, which is when you're in a stressful situation and you get in the car, you begin to talk through the situation to yourself? How many of you replay conversations, right? How many of you are really good at winning those conversations? Super good. How many of you have amazing strategies all by yourself? Just like, oh, I figured it out. It's such a cinch. How many of you also do this thing where in your narration to yourself, you also talk yourself down into the worst case scenario? All of that is time that could be spent letting Jesus interrupt the conversation. Can I tell this to you today? There are days and times in which you're the biggest voice in your own head. And I wanna tell you, you're not very good at giving advice, amen? Especially to you. You're just not, you're not. I know you are, you're not. But you know who is? Well, the one who stands at the door of your heart and knocks and says, hey, when you're done talking, I'd love to have a conversation. And in this moment, Jairus, is interrupted by Jesus. And Jesus does this beautiful thing in his interruption. You should see it. Oh, you don't want to miss it. It's right here. It's in verse 50, right here. He says this, Jesus on hearing this, the man with a bad report and the terrible recommendation to Jairus answered him. He says, don't fear, only believe she will be well. I think what's beautiful about this is Jesus doesn't get to the business of arguing. He just speaks and that's that. And the best part about it is the way in which he speaks. He first speaks to Jairus. He speaks to the reaction that is arising in Jairus's heart after the terrible recommendation. This person comes in and says, it's too late, give up. And you know exactly what that sounds like. And his heart begins to break. There's a desperation that is flooding through his ears and into his mind and into his body. He's thinking, this is it, it's over. What am I gonna do? She's all we ever wanted for. She's perfect and she's beautiful and she's gone now. I don't know how my marriage is gonna last. I don't know what people are gonna say 
in the ancient Near East. If there was death in your family, they thought it was sin. He might lose his position. They might lose their status. All of that is flooded in. And Jesus speaks to that heart and that moment. He doesn't talk about the girl. The first thing he says is, Jairus, look at me. Don't fear. Because Jesus' primary focus is your heart. He says, I know you're worried. It's written all over your face. But don't fear. Just believe. He could have left it right there. So sweet. So gentle. But then he speaks to the result. He doesn't just stop at the reaction in Jairus' heart. He speaks through the reaction to the potential result in Jairus' daughter. And he says, and she will be well. I think about my own kids when I, I read this story. And I think about just how powerful it would have been to been there, be there in that moment when, when it's just so chaotic. And Jesus just plainly says, shh, I'm here. I want to speak that into your life right now. Right now, there is a thing that is just always on you. It's, it's that weird rustle of emotion and adrenaline that comes up two, three, four, five times a day. It's those heart palpitations that you don't know why you're feeling when you're feeling. It's, it's that fear that when you open your bank account or think about your job, it's just all of a sudden the negative thoughts flood in. It's the enemy's best attack. It's not taking you out, but it's got most of your mind. And every time you focus on it, you feel defeat, you feel broken, you feel fearful. And I wanna speak this into your life. Jesus says, Shh. it will be well. Most of us never hear that voice, do we? Why? Because we're the loudest ones in the room, amen? Most of us are talking like crazy. But this is the battle for your ears. This is what it looks like, okay? The battle is over what comes in so that it takes root. Jesus has something to say, amen? It's written right here. And if you give him enough time, he'll speak it into the still small voice in the middle of the night on a drive home or whenever you need to. But in order to do that, you've got to be able to quiet the voices and the noise, including your own. Amen? Now, here's the deal. Every one of us in this room, in order to concentrate on any one thing, you've got to have some quiet. So that's our next point. Let me just say this. You need quiet to concentrate in your work, in your relationships, and yes, in your faith. I wish I could tell you that you can just be loud all the time, listening to punk rock music or trap music and also have Jesus all you want. But girl, you got to turn that music down. I see people. <laughs> I'm preaching to myself because I love rock and roll music. I don't know why I called myself girl. Anyway, listen. The point is this. You got to turn it down in order to concentrate on what you need to do. Amen. Let me tell you something about myself also, just because just, uh, we're family and we're all close. Um, I, I have to turn the radio down when I get lost. See, I, I have to turn off the sound so I can see better. 
Sometimes <laughs> I'll turn down the radio, still be lost, and turn off the heater too. <laughs> and Chanel will be like, are you done? What do you, do you need to turn off the car? What are we going to do here? I don't know what it is, but for some reason, when I'm trying to focus, like really focus, it's got to be like, everybody shut up. And then I can see the sign that's right there. I don't know why. I just know that for me, good, quiet helps me get settled so I can move forward. And I think what's interesting here is I think Jesus feels the exact same way. The Bible tells us here in verses 51 through 53 that when he shows up, it's really loud. It says this, when he, that's Jesus, came to the house, he allowed no one to enter except Peter, James, John, father and mother, and all, these are the people who he just kicked out, were weeping and mourning. And he said, don't weep, she's not dead, but she's sleeping. And they laughed at him. Imagine for a moment that Jesus has followed Jairus to this home. And when he arrives, there's just this commotion. The Bible says that they're weeping and mourning. No doubt many people in this moment are genuinely feeling the grief of the loss and the suffering of this little girl. But the truth of the matter is, is that I suspect most here are not all that earnest in their reaction. How do you know, pastor? Because the Bible says that when Jesus says, chill out, they laugh. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I've been in a real state of grief, laughter is not the fastest thing to come out of me. I hope you can see this. Do you mind if we just do this real quick? Just look in the text as you might miss this. See, for most of us, when we're really in a grieving process, suffering from the loss of someone that we care about, and someone comes in and speaks a word of hope, if they were to show up in a moment when your, your most favorite aunt was sick in the hospital and a doctor came in and said, don't worry, she's sleeping, she can be up in just a minute, you would likely not laugh in that person's face. Amen. What that indicates to us is that this crowd that's gathered around is probably far less earnest than we might suspect. And I gather that that's why Jesus kicks them out. In fact, let me just say this to you for a moment. Jesus kicks out this crowd because they're pretty fickle. Truth is that in this day and age, in this culture, um, the people of the Hebrew nation were quick to grieve when someone were to die, they would be cleansed and anointed and buried the same day. Then a period of formal grief would occur afterward, but there often wasn't this great carrying on. It was dealt with because they were taught not to fear death. And here in this moment, there's this great carrying on and I gather that Jesus can sense, because you know how he can do it? He kind of reads right through the room and he's like, <laughs> faker, faker, real, faker, faker. And he boots all the fakers out. Here's the deal. There's some moments in your relationship with Jesus, sometimes in some seasons, they're just far too vital for you and Jesus for everybody to be involved. Let me say it even better. There's a couple moments in your life with God that are just plain too tender for everybody around you to have a voice on you. Amen? Here's what happens. Jesus shows up and everybody's like, oh, it's terrible. And he's like, everybody get out of here. We got to do something serious. And none of you are helping. And I think it's important that we do this for a moment because Jesus is pretty serious about what's to happen. What he does is he creates a quiet space for him to work. 
It's pretty cool, actually. He, he retains a very small group of people to come inside the house. There's three disciples, James, John, the sons of thunder, and Peter, the loudmouth, who will become Jesus' most trusted servants. And we find that Jesus takes these three disciples with him on specific duties only three times in the Bible. This one moment in Jairus' home for the resurrection of his daughter. Then later again at the Mount of Transfiguration where he can show them himself in his perfect glory. And then later on at the garden of Gethsemane, where he was crying out to the father saying, lest this cup be taken from me, where tears of blood are falling out of his face. It's just those three moments where he brings these disciples along. And each one is paired with the concept of death. It's such an interesting picture. Then he also brings in Jairus and his wife. And six people enter the house. And six is the number of man. but there's still another person in the room. Jesus in this moment, before he goes to do this great big thing, is creating a quiet place in which to work. And let me just say it to you like, like it is. Jesus is creating an inner circle for this ministry. You may not see this because I think it's easy for us to jump off towards the end and see how the family was very excited. But what Jesus is doing in this moment by removing some folks from this instance, he's actually elevating the people who are in this instance such that they can work together for this moment to take place. He is placed in this room, people of faith. Amen. There are three disciples and probably these three disciples are the one who just went through this journey across the lake and back and they're like, yo, let's go, let's go, let's Go. He brings in three people of faith and he brings in two people of fate, those who would be most affected by the girl's death and or her resurrection. What Jesus is doing in this moment is saying, this is important and for right now, it's just us. Now, let me just say this to you very clearly, okay? You need an inner circle. Now you said, Pastor Wade, I thought we were all the family and it's supposed to be all one, one big body, one big connection. All of that is absolutely true. Amen. You're the hand, I'm the foot. Jesus is the head. We're all working together to do great big things. But let's talk about this for a moment. This hand works together collectively, right? And if the foot were to join in, you could never do any of these connections, right? If I were to jump into the conversation, there'd be some dysfunction. The truth of the matter is, is that while we're all connected as one big family, God also calls us us to smaller, more nuclear groups so that we can work together to be safe, to care for each other. Let's just talk about it. Right now, you have some things that you need to talk through with people who love you, but not everybody even in this room should know about it. Amen? What if I were to bring you up here and be like, I heard in small group, you talked about that thing you were struggling. Go ahead. You'd be like, whoa, no, why? Because there's value in intimacy. There's power in relationship. God calls us collectively, but also corporately and even more intimately so that there are people in here that you know that you know you can trust no matter what. And if you don't yet have that, I'm gonna push you as your pastor. If you're first time in it here today, let me tell you wherever you end up in the kingdom, you need you a little crew. People that love you, that know you, they're like, whoa, that was a terrible move. I'm still with you. Amen? Here's the other side of the conversation, and this one's going to get a little hard. You shouldn't be in everybody's business. 
<laughs> Some people will celebrate that. You're not allowed and shouldn't be in every inner circle. Amen? There are some inner circles in this group you're not in. Don't be sad about it. That's not your group. Amen? This is the hardest part of the teaching. Sorry. There are some things that God wants to do with a select few for a real reason. And sometimes he chooses people who are committed wholly to doing a thing. One of the saddest parts about leading a church is that I find people that want to be in an inner circle, but don't want to be part of the inner circle. Do you know what I'm saying? Like they want the title, but they don't want to do the work. They want, they, they want to be recognized, but they, they don't want the responsibility. And, and the truth is, is, I'm getting older and crankier, and I don't mind telling you this. Sometimes I'm finding that the younger that people are, that, the more likely that's their complaint, which is like, why wasn't I in the room? And it's because like, like, hey, here's the deal. It's not your room, but there is a room for you. In fact, it's your duty to find the room. And it's your job to find people who are in need of you, who can trust you, who can rely on you so that you all can build something great. And then here's the best part. I don't belong in your room. We have people who have small groups and I'm like, can I come? And they're like, no. And I'm like, got it. Cause it's their room, right? And this is the way God's doing their thing through them. And Jesus in this moment, he's painting a picture that says, not every moment is for everyone. Some of us got to work together closely to know, Mark, I need you. And this is just with you, me, and Ty. And the three of us are going to do this thing together and no one else can be involved. Because for the moment, I just, it's just us and Jesus. Amen. And you need that in your life if you don't yet have it. So I'm going to tell you right now that there's someone in their row, in your section, that also needs this group. And it might just be you. Last part, and then we'll close. The reason we do this, the reason we try to create environments where there's less voices, where there's fewer people who are more dedicated, is so that we can begin to filter out the noise that is distracting us from God. If every one of us was involved in every single task, we'd have a thousand chefs in the kitchen, yeah. right? But you don't see me leading worship. And when I do, it's kind of off key, amen? But the truth is, is that we've gotta find a way to gather these groups together so that we can hear him. Cause here's the last point. If you can hear him, if you can hear Jesus, then you can heed him. And, and, and the fact of the matter is that most of us, we just can't obey God well because we just don't even know what he sounds like. Most of us, we have this Bible. We have many, they're in our house. We have the app and, and we go to church. But the truth is that we, we don't hear him very well. We don't talk to him very often. We're not very familiar with his voice. And so when there's a call to obey, when there's a call to change, when there's a call to follow him, it, it sounds foreign to us. It's hard to isolate his voice amongst the noise. Last little truth about you that I'll share. I'm losing my hearing. Um, over the last four years, I'm having trouble hearing. And Chanel would, would tease me and be like, turn up your hearing aid, old man. Um... When I'm in a, in a restaurant and, and people are talking, I can't hear you. When I'm in a group of people and it's my turn to share, <laughs> I'm talking way too loud for the room. And, and if I'm watching TV and, and there's music and stuff, I just don't, I can't really tell what's going on. 
And so I started taking these hearing tests because I'm a stubborn husband and so I mostly would just prove Chanel wrong. Um, but I have, I have some pretty moderate hearing loss. And um, I think it's because I was a musician. And, um, and, you know, I guess part of getting old is no big deal. Like I have gray and that's fine, no big deal. And you get a little slower and you, you can't beat up on your kids as you used to be able to wrestle with them and, and, and all that's fine. But there's something strange about losing your hearing. It, it almost feels like I'm being isolated. And I know the solution. Let's <laughs> get hearing aids. And I'm going to need them because I, I don't want to be isolated anymore. I want to go to dinner with you and I want to hear you. I don't want to nod and just pretend that I know what you're saying. And in many ways, most Christians are losing our hearing just like that. You're in a room where Jesus is talking and you're nodding, but you're not hearing. You're agreeing, but you're not connecting. You see, when Jesus walks into this room where the girl is with just this small crew and he's created silence, what he's doing is not just creating an environment where he can concentrate, but he's creating an environment where he can isolate all of the noises out so she can hear him. In this story, you should see this. The Bible says that he takes her by the hand and he says, child, arise. And her spirit returns. The girl in this moment, in this story, when Jesus arrives, she looks dead. But Jesus says she's asleep. She looks dead and so he tenderly grabs her by the hand of the one who is eternal life. And he sweetly whispers to her and he says, Talitha kumme. That's Aramaic. It's in Semitic language, very close to Hebrew. And the phrase kume means don't just stand up or awake. It means be established. He's holding her who is dead, who looks dead. And he says, daughter, regain your faculty. Hear my voice and be reestablished. I've cut out every distraction so that you might hear me. And this beautiful thing happens. <laughs> she's a teenager, almost. And so she wakes up and she's hungry. I mean, that's how dad knew that she was good. He says, Talitha kume, and from within her slumber, she hears the voice of Jesus. Oh my gosh, I wish you could hear this right now. From within the struggle, from within the pain, trapped by the death that has overtaken her, she hears Jesus' voice cut through all of it. And from out of that slumber, she obeys that voice. And here's the deal. Most of us, like the girl, are in desperate need of hearing his voice in our situation. And while the girl looks dead, but is really asleep, you look asleep, but in your sin, you are dead. Mm, I know that one hurt. 
Here's how it works, okay? There's so much noise in this world that it's become like white noise. Every one of us has been lullabied to sleep by the sounds of this world. And there's so many different variations on the faith message. Maybe this one tells you that if you give, then you'll get, or God's here to help you find your purpose, or he's just a healer, or he's just this, or it's all about just say the prayer and then you're done. Whatever it is, there's a million different voices that come out. Or maybe you've been inoculated or lullabied by the sound of Christians who are also big on politics. And so everything is about Jesus and what way he leans. And so you've been lullabied by that. And so when Jesus's voice actually comes in, when the shot is sent your way, you've been hearing so much that it's all just white noise. It's just sound. And you don't know what he sounds like. And so you're sleeping, but you're in fact dead. And you think you've heard him, but you haven't heard him. Here's what he says. Child, Talitha, wake up, be arisen, be established. Step up out of your sin. Cancel this sound that's around you. Stop listening to the wrong things. I got a call from a guy in our church this week. I just love him with my whole heart. And he's been fighting addiction for many years. And he relapsed this month. And he said, Pastor, I don't don't know what I'm doing wrong. I do all the things. And then I relapse. And I said, well, what are the things? And he said, well, I go to my AA groups and I have a sponsor and they talk to me. And I guess that's it. And he said, do you think AA is not working for me? And I'm like, hey, actually, no. As somebody who's been in those rooms multiple times, that's a great place to start. But it's not a great place to finish. The truth is most of us, We don't just have bad voices in our ears. You got some critics. You got some people that are saying things that are just not helpful. Amen. You've also got some people who think they're saying things that are helpful that aren't good enough for you. People are saying things like, I mean, I don't know. I think as long as you're just a good person, you'll go to heaven. I just believe most everybody is good. And as long as I do right, God's not going to send me to hell for that. And it sounds so good, but it's not God. And the truth is that you need to hear God over even the good. And if you don't, you will be lullabied by every sound that comes your way. So here's the deal. Y'all can come out. We're going to end our time together with a time for you to listen. Now imagine for a second that Spark Kids is absolutely silent. But here's your chance. If you've never done this before, I want to I start this with you, okay? Jesus always made, um, made time for quiet with God. He would do it in the solitude. But there's also power in the quiet with God together. And one of the things that most of us never do in our time of prayer is listen. So today we're going to end this part just listening. So you bow your head all over the room today. I'm going to pray us to start, and then we're going to give an invitation for God to speak. Heavenly Father, we love you. Holy Spirit, we thank you for dwelling within us. Jesus, we call you by name. Most of us have been listening to everything else but you. 
And when we talk with you, it's mostly demands and requests. It's here's how we need your help and here's what we need to do. But the truth is that I think we're done with that and we wanna hear you. So Father, right now, you know the desires of our heart and the needs in our life. I would just lay those down right now. And we no longer wanna narrate this situation to you. We want you to speak to us. So Father, for just the next several minutes, you speak. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Speak, Lord. Thanks for joining Be The Light Podcast with lead pastor C.B. Barthlow. Visit our website at denverbeacon.org. To download our Beacon app, text Beacon to 97000. Once again, text Beacon to 97000. Or join us in person at Beacon this Sunday, 10 a.m. at Comedy Works, 1226 15th Street in Denver, Colorado. Whatever you do, please remember to be the light. Let's go!